Welcome to the RylaCast, the official podcast. Camp Ryla, Rotary District 5810. My name is Greg Tepper. My co-host is the man they call Josie, Andrew Utz. Who is not here this evening. No, no, unfortunately... Josie is unable to be with us for this episode, so you are once again stuck with me for a solo episode. Uh, we need to come up with some sort of snappy name for this. I don't know, like a a, a episode. <gasps> oh my gosh, did we just do it? Wow, pretty great, guys. Thanks for your help on that. Uh, we uh, this we this is the Ryla Cast, the official podcast, Camp Ryla, Rotary District fifty eight ten. We do thank you for spending a little bit of your day with us. Coming up here in just a little bit, we're going to hear from our guest of the evening, uh, Tanner Logsden. We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to talk about being a counselor. We're going to talk about how those things interact. We're going to talk about competitiveness, and we're going to ask him if he wants to correct his soon to be wife. Uh, and I will tell you, since I've already done the interview, he comes up with the correct answer. Stay tuned for that. Uh, but first, I guess I've got to do both uh, both of the uh, the segments this week because because Josie is uh, is is, got, is fielding other offers right now for other podcasts, which you know is fine. It's, it's, it's right. So here's what I want to do. We're going to do a little bit of an experiment, right? Me and you, uh, podcaster to listener. And what I'm going to do is that I am going to play for you an audio clip, an audio clip of a of a song. But it's not going to be like a full song. Don't worry, we're not going to get DMCA around here. That's a, that's a digital millennium copyright act, I think it is. Anyway, don't worry about it. We don't need to worry about that. We're not going to get hit by copyright. All this is, is the rhythm of a song being tapped by drumsticks. Okay? So I'm going to play it for you. It's about a 15-second clip. I'm going to play the rhythm of a song being tapped with drumsticks. And what you have to do is guess the name of the song. Easy enough, right? Here it comes. Three, two, one. So maybe that went by too fast. I'm going to play for you one more time. Remember, it's the rhythm of a song. This is a very popular song being tapped with drumsticks. And I want you to guess the name of the song. It's very, very easy. Okay, here it is. Okay. So did you get it? I think everybody got it, right? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't understand what song it was. Did you Did you get the answer on the first try? Did you get it on the second try? Did you get it at all? Well, if you didn't know, that is Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. You know that song, right? Of course it was, right? Here, I'll play for you one more time just so you know. Here it goes. Here is Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. So you hear it now, right? Though every time you listen to it, you're going to know what song is being played. But let me ask you, why was it difficult to guess the song? Now, maybe you've never heard of that song. Maybe you've never heard of that, and that's possible. Um, maybe you just didn't know maybe there's a cultural difference. Maybe you just don't like that kind of music, whatever it was. 
But what we're getting at here is that now that you know the name of the song, you can hear it, right? But before that, chances are you couldn't hear that song, okay? And this is an interesting thing that we've got to talk about, which is cognitive bias, okay? It's the curse of knowledge, okay? The curse of knowledge is a cognitive bias that occurs when an individual communicating with other individuals unknowingly assumes that the others have the background to understand. Okay. So let me back up and tell you, let's flash back to 1990. In 1990, there was a Stanford grad student in psychology by the name of Elizabeth Newton. And she conducted what is now known as the tappers and listeners study. Okay. That's where I got that thing, that tappers and listeners study. So the tappers and listeners study is uh, basically took a group of people and they, she assigned to those, to the group of people, one of two roles. They could either be a tapper where they would go out and they would tap out the rhythm or they would be a listener where they had to guess the song. So in this instance, I was the tapper, you were the listener. Okay. And before it started, before the, uh, they started tapping, they asked the tappers, they said, what probability do you think the listeners are going to guess correctly? How many of these songs do you think they're going to guess correctly? And what they did was they ended up predicting 50%. The tappers said, you know what? The listeners are going to get 50% of the songs. When in fact, in fact, after they got done with the experiment, out of the 120 songs that they tapped out, right? The listeners guessed three. One out of every 40. They got it. Now, why is that? When the tapper taps, it's impossible for that for the tapper to avoid hearing the tune. But the listener is just hearing some kind of bizarre Morse code. That's all it is, right? They were, fl- but but the tappers were flabbergasted. Like, how hard could it be? Like, this is, song is very obvious, right? And what it does is it gets back to that those gaps. It gets back to the the curse of knowledge, the cognitive bias that we all have. Because here's the thing. We can't unknow things, right? We can't unknow things. Once you become an expert in something, it becomes increasingly harder to explain the basics to people, okay? Like, how did you, like, like, like in a lot of ways, how does your knowledge, something we have to be cognizant of, I think, whenever we're leading people, how does your knowledge affect the way that you teach people? How does it affect the way that you learn? That you have all sorts of intrinsic knowledge that you don't even know about in ex- in areas of expertise. Like, let's just take, for example, let's just take that if you are a videographer, if you're a videographer and I were to say things like aspect ratio and B-roll and frame rate and lower third and resolution and wide angle, like you would probably know what those are. But if you're not a videographer, maybe you know what one of those are because you picked it up along the way, but you don't know that type of jargon, right? Uh, I could tell you that in my work doing television, uh, th- th- like I didn't grow up and I didn't study television. And so it was such a like fire hose to the face of all these things that I don't know. But now, now that I've become, I've been doing this for a while. I understand what an IFB is. I understand what a bump is. I understand, you know, all of these things. I know, understand what, what, what a donut bump is, things like that. Those types of things that you only, that, that is now intrinsic knowledge. And yet, if you are a leader, 
isn't your responsibility to be able to communicate to everybody, not just to the people who know as much as you do. And that is the real cognitive bias that we have to overcome because it does get harder. We tend to form blind spots and it becomes harder to unlearn and look at other people's perspectives. There's another part of this, which I think is, is part of it, is that there, I think that there can be a bit of a gap. There's a gap in communication, obviously, right? Like you don't know what those words mean, right? But also I think there can be a gap in empathy, right? Um, if, if you are, let's just say you're designing a website, right? If you were designing a website for like based on how much you know about the web, if you're a web expert, right? You might make a really complicated a website that may end up being super complicated for me who doesn't know what the heck I'm doing on the internet right? Or say uh, a senior citizen who needs to use it. How can we put ourselves in our in the people that we are talking to's shoes? How can we consider the needs of people who are maybe just joining the party, maybe just joining the group, right? Those are just a few of the, the types of questions that we really need to learn. We, we really need to, we, we really need to, to wrestle with because our job as leaders is to address everyone where they are, whether they're an expert or whether they're a novice, right? And it's a cognitive bias, this curse of knowledge. It's a cognitive bias that we all face, right? It's it's everywhere. It affects our daily lives. That doesn't mean we need to stop advancing uh, or, or consuming knowledge, but we need to be mindful of where other people are coming from, that there may not be people who understand that that's guns and roses, but so as a result, we need to meet those people where they are and find a way to, to get them on board without making them feel dumb, without making them feel like they're being left behind. Because in a group like in, in a group that you're leading, in my opinion, you need to make sure that everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction. And that means allowing everybody to understand where the rope is. So anyway, I read a lot about that this week and I thought it was super fascinating. It's called the Tappers and Listeners Study. Uh, so if you want to go read up on that, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, that's all I had to say about that. Uh, we got a great interview coming up. We talked with Tanner Logsdon. Uh, here is my conversation with him here on the Riley Cast. Josie, Josie, that's right. Josie's not here. So it's just me. And so that means it is my great pleasure to welcome in our guest for the evening, uh, representing Cabin One. He is Tanner Logston. Tanner, what's up, dude? What's up? How's it going? Uh, Thanks for spending some time with us. Where are you coming to us from? Uh, Currently in Rockwall. Okay. Got it. Rockwall. Um, and so we'll, we'll start this conversation like we do with, with most of our guests. Uh, can you tell us a, a little bit about your Ryla story and how you came to be involved uh, with the organization? Yeah, no. So I feel like mine is kind of like everybody else's that, you know, you talk to. It's kind of one of those you came into it not knowing anything about it. Um, I was actually one of the um, selections from Mesquite when I was in Mesquite High School. Um, I heard about it through one of my teachers. He actually gave me a heads up about it, told me that one of his old students had gone and it came back and had really high praise about it. 
Um, went to a couple of the informational meetings with me and one of my buddies from the baseball team. And we both kind of decided we'd give it a shot. And when we turned up, it was nothing like we expected it to be. But all in a good way. All in a good way. We absolutely loved uh, the atmosphere from stepping out of the van from the very first day to, you know, meeting everybody in the cabins and just going, you know, throughout the entire week. But um, when we first started at Mesquite High School, um, like I said, me and my buddy, we were going, we came into it with really high expectations from what everybody had said. And a little bit of the nerves, you know, not really expecting it. But um, when we got there, I totally took on a new persona from the first day to the last day. And it kind of changed the entire way that I looked at life. So super excited that I went. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you have a, an interesting story because, you know, we, we talk with a lot of, of, of folks from from different kind of paths that, that get to Ryla. You mentioned that yours was essentially like, you know, you were, I don't want to call you a jock, but like you were playing sports, you know what I mean? They're from Mesquite. Um, and so do you feel like you approached camp in a different way because of that background uh, in sports, you know, going in and finding yourself in a cabin with, you know, people who are the drum major and people who are doing, you know, academic decathlon and things like that. Do you feel like that gave you a different perspective on, on your camp experience? Uh, very much so. Uh, like you said, I was a varsity starter my freshman year for the baseball team at Mesquite and uh, played football all four years. I was a varsity or varsity starter my junior year, uh, played a little bit on the sophomore year team. So I came into it with kind of that perspective of, oh, this is going to be one of those camps that, you know, we just play a lot of games. I'm going to be the best one out there, you know, kind of the headstrong, you know, jock, like you said. Um when we first got there and I kind of introduced to my cabin, I'll never forget this. And I still remember it to this day. I walked in and the first person that I met was a Gom uh, a And just thinking to myself, I was like, why am I here again? <laughs> but by the end of the week, I can definitely say that me and a are now really, really close. Still talk to him every once in a while. And um, like you said, it was a great mix of me coming in there with the mindset of being a jock. You know, it was kind of smart to realizing that everybody in that camp was in some way just like me and in every other way completely different and learning how to make all of that work and everybody just meshing together by the end of the camp absolutely blew my mind and I never thought that I would have took what I got from camp out of there on day one you know come day six and later on day seven. So you've stayed involved with the program now. I guess first and foremost, can you tell people uh, what you do for your big boy job now? <laughs> well, uh, my big boy job, I couldn't really get rid of school, so I decided to go back just because I loved it so much. But um, I am a middle school teacher at North Hopkins, uh, North Hopkins Middle School and High School, and I'm also a baseball coach for the um, varsity and junior high right now. Okay, so you are a a middle school teacher as well as a high school baseball coach. Do you, how would you say that you use what you took from the program, either as a camper or as a a counselor, just through your experience with the program? How do you use that in in your everyday kind of experiences? Yeah, I'd say that both of my experiences at Rila, both, you know, being uh, the counselor role, uh, ACA role, and as a camper have really impacted, you know, not only the way that I kind of conduct my classroom uh, and on the field as well, but also just like my overall view on, um, on the students themselves, you know, 
being a counselor and an ACA, you were kind of able to look uh, more in depth at, or at the certain campers that were there, kind of realizing that everybody has a little bit of a different story and a little bit of a background. And I really try to go into that in my classroom, you know, kind of try to make those personal connections um, on the baseball field. You got to realize, you know, who's who. Not everybody's the same. Everybody has a different story. Everybody, you know, reacts to you in a different way. So just trying to make sure that I'm really, you know, pushing for those personal connections, making sure that I'm not just a teacher, but I'm also there um, kind of as a figure to, you know, there to help you. I'm there to make sure that I can get the best out of you that I can, whether that's, you know, um, you know, pushing you to do your absolute best on a test or pushing you to be the absolute best person that you can be off the field and outside of school as well. So I would say that in both of those areas, Rylas helped me, you know, look for the best in not only the students, but my athletes as well. You, um, you're dealing with middle schoolers who are, you know, 11 and 12, and then you're also dealing with, you know, high school seniors. Those are, those are two very different groups of, of people. Um, do you, do you find yourself having to use different methods to communicate to those two pretty disparate groups in your career? Uh, at times it can be a little bit challenging, um, especially going from my middle school, you know, seventh period health class, talking to, you know, 11, 12, 13 year olds to going to a baseball field and trying to get, you know, a senior in high school, the correct posture, you know, up on the mound. It's definitely a challenge, but throughout my couple of years that I've been teaching and coaching, I've definitely found some things that work for certain individuals. And the main thing that I try to remember is just like everybody has their own style. Um, you're not going to get it right the first time. You're not going to be able to look at somebody and know exactly how they're going to respond. It's you have to know them. You have to know how they're going to react to you. And you have to know which one of those sides is best to take. You know, I, I find myself more in the base or on the baseball field using my like teacher tone and using my you know, teacher strategies to kind of push my athletes. And then there's times where I'm in the classroom where I'm finding myself using my coaching voice or, you know, using techniques that I would use on my kids in the field to get them to perform even better in the classroom. So I feel like for me personally, it kind of helps me being in both of those roles because I kind of get to see, you know, how certain individuals would or would react in an athletic background. And then I get to see how they would react in the classroom and kind of figure out which way is going to work best for me to connect with them. And especially being in a small uh, 2A right now, a lot of the kids that I'm actually coaching on the baseball field for middle school are in my classroom as well. So I get kind of that double dose and getting to see them two or three times, you know, throughout the day kind of helps me better, you know, picture who they are as a full person instead of just, you know, who they are in the classroom or who they are in the field. Uh, you're a baseball coach. Uh, you were also a uh, a counselor at this mo a cabin counselor in cabin one at the most recent Camp Ryla. Uh, my question for you is: uh, Do you are you just super competitive at camp? <laughs> so my, funny story. My camper year back in 2015, um, I got I got a lot of flack from my cabin mates because I was very, very competitive and actually had to tone it back towards the end of camp. But um, the, the other thing, I coming out of that, uh, when I was a cabin counselor, 
Um, I noticed about halfway through, you know, my cabin wasn't really excelling at the sports events, which, you know, kind of kind of hit me a little hard because I'm a big sports guy. I'm a big, you know, try to win everything, try to do the best that we can. But we kind of had this like breakdown with our entire cabin and they came up with the idea that they didn't they weren't worried about winning. And it was more of, you know, how can we get everybody involved how can everybody get something positive out of this? And, you know, how can we just be better? You know, not necessarily winning everything, but how do we get better growing the relationships, you know, growing what we're learning about, using the skills that we're learning from all of these um, different instructors at camp and kind of putting that into what we're doing during these events. And since then, I've actually taken a little bit of a step back from my competitiveness. You know, I still like to win. Don't get me wrong. I love winning. But it's not so much for me about, you know, winning state trophies and, you know, having a perfect record anymore. I actually take one of what one of my coaches from Yorktown did. Uh, his name's Bruno Mata. He's a very, very intelligent guy. And he told me that at the end of the day, you know, when you're done with coaching and you're kind of sitting there, you don't worry about the state championship rings. Uh, the thing that really gets you and really hits you you know, in the heart is when you start getting those messages from kids that, you know, you're invited to their wedding or you're getting pictures of their newborns, you know, making those connections rather than just having the memories about which, you know, it's more of a, the connections with the kids on the field, the connections with the kids at camp, you know, those are the memories that you're going to remember more than, you know, one game that you won. This is the opportunity in the podcast where we just open up the floor to you and let you say whatever you want. Uh, to be clear, you can say whatever you want throughout the course of the interview. Uh, you don't have to answer my questions, but I appreciate you you doing that. Um, but now you get to plug something. Is there something that you're passionate about that you want uh, the whole RylaCast audience, the, the legions and legions of fans to know about? Uh, well, obviously, I'm very into teaching. Otherwise, I don't feel like I would have gone back to school. But um, no. True. So I have an hour drive every morning. I drive about an hour and five minutes to work every day and then an hour and five minutes back. So one of the things that I've kind of gotten into is actually podcasts. And this is the first one that I've been on. So I'm oh. a little excited to be on the other side of one. But um, I'm a huge history nerd and I'm a huge uh, like mythology or like, you know, um, different kind of religion type guy kind of looking into how people thought. So I've been listening to podcasts. They do a bunch of like mythology podcasts or like uh, different, you know, secret societies and stuff like that. So I'm going to give them a little shout out. If you guys have time, you know, they're on all the major podcast stations. Of course, when you're done listening to the Rilo podcast, because nothing's going to be you. this. But, um, and then my second one is I'm a big, I've always backed this guy. His name's Jake Beekman. Uh, he's a pitcher in the uh, MLB right now. He's also got a former great, Ranger great. Sorry. That's a former Ranger great. Yes, former Ranger. I'm required, I'm required by law to, to mention that, that he, he used to pitch for the Rangers. <laughs> Absolutely love the guy, but he has a great charity called Gut It Out. Um, I was really involved with him when I was going through all my stuff. He's a big um, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's uh, advocate, so big shout out to him and what he's doing. If you guys haven't checked him out, follow him. Also great pitcher. So Yes, he was. Uh, like a left-handed reliever, right? Do I have that right? Yes, left-handed reliever, a little bit of a sidearm action. Yeah. 
Ah, he he had a little he had a little something with the Rangers. Yeah, he was uh, you know pretty strong. Okay, uh, finally, final question for for Tanner Logs and our guest here on this year Rylacast. You are the second member of your own household to be on this podcast. Um, <laughs> your fia- your fiance Jessica was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I guess my question is: Is there anything you'd like to correct from her? appearance on on the Rylacast. and i will i will rec- just give you some some quick advice as a married man for over a decade um there is a correct answer to this so <laughs> don't flunk this but anyway would you like to correct anything that jessica said on her episode of the podcast i don't think i'm gonna correct anything just for my safety but um i will agree <laughs> with her i think she said something about you know being um, engaged to a fellow Rylarian was a 12 out of 10. I'd probably bump it up to like a 13, but that's just between oh, me. Oh, see. <laughs> this guy. This guy gets it, folks. It's not just a hat rack. Uh, Tanner Logsdon, we appreciate your time, my friend, and uh, best of luck this baseball season. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Our thanks once again to Tanner Logsdon, our guest here on the Rylacast, a smart man who knows how to answer questions about his fiance. And by the way, he was the guy who proposed to Jessica at camp this past week or this past year. So um, congratulations uh, to those crazy lovebirds. Anyway, uh, I'm going to close this bad boy out with something that I heard this week in my own um, experiences uh, in my career. So for those who don't know, I work in the in the realm of high school football a lot. And so a lot of the people that I deal with are high school football coaches. And I admire high school football coaches. I think they're they're they they tend to be pretty great leaders who understand the value of communication. I think there's a lot to learn from them um, in there. So this past week, um, we did something uh, on on our website on TexasFootball.com. I guess I should probably plug that website, um, where we had what we called a watch along. Okay. There was a high school football game down in the Houston area. We invited a couple of coaches who were um, on the um, who were on an open date who didn't have a game. It was on a Thursday night. We invited them to come along to come into the studio and watch the game with us and just comment and, and provide commentary on it. And and one of the coaches uh, was a gentleman who's uh, become a, a friend of mine. His name's DJ Mann. He's the head coach at Lubbock Coronado High School out there in the eight oh six. Shout out to LBK. Go Mustangs. Anyway. But he came in, and I've known DJ for uh, a fair number of years now. We actually got to be buddies because we started chirping at each other on Twitter. So it's funny how life goes. But anyway, uh, he's now the head coach at Lubbock Coronado. And I mentioned to him, um, you know, I, I mentioned to him we were watching the game, and, and we were talking about how uh, this particular team that was playing and how they didn't make a lot of mistakes. Like, they didn't they, they didn't fumble the ball. They, they the, the snap was always good. They, they didn't get called for a lot of penalties. They uh, they tackled well, things like that. A lot, of, a lot of what I said, the little things were. Um, I said, you know, this is a team that really does the little things right. And, and Coach Mann corrected me, and he goes, at Lubbock Coronado, we don't call them the little things because that makes them seem small and not important because those are the things that end up winning you ball games. Um, we call them the vital things, getting lined up correctly, uh, the snap, knowing the snap count, not committing penalties, things like that. We don't call them the little things because that implies that they're not important. We call them the vital things because that's what they are. They're vital. I thought about that a lot. and I, I, I love that. I love that idea that by simply reframing those types of things that we do every day that ultimately end up stacking up and 
causing us to, to, to move through the world in a successful way. I, I love the idea of reframing in those vital things. Um, treating people with kindness is a little thing, right? Holding the door for somebody seems like a little thing. But what if it's a vital thing, right? What if just asking somebody how their day is going is not a little thing, but it's a vital thing? What if, you know, giving somebody a hug or sending somebody a text or asking somebody to coffee is not a little thing, but it's a vital thing? I love that idea. I love that idea of reframing and refocusing little things, things that we take for granted, things that ultimately may improve somebody's life and reframing them not as little, but as vital because they do matter. I think we know that, but maybe simply giving it a different brand name helps us to understand it a little bit more. Anyway, I thought about that. Coach DJ Man at Love Coronado is a smart guy. Very smart guy. Alrighty, that's going to do it for this here episode of the RylaCast. We do appreciate you spending a little bit of your day with us. Please go to the website. It's ryla5810.org. Lots of good stuff there. Um, and uh, Josie usually does some other plugs here. You're supposed to follow us on our social media platforms, things like that. Um, anyway, we appreciate Tanner Logston for being our guest here on the RylaCast. Josie will be back next time, and then you won't have to deal with another episode like this. But until then, we do appreciate it. Uh, please tell you, please rate, subscribe, and tell your friends about the uh, the RylaCast. I didn't think of an antiquated way. Um, I don't know, like AM radio, AM radio, tell like buy an ad on an AM radio station and tell people to listen to the RylaCast. That's the way to do it. Anyway, it's gonna do it for us. Thanks for spending a little bit of your day with us. We'll talk to you next time. RylaCast. <laughs>